in the work that we do, we are imagining a new future. From the Jewish Teen Funders Network, this is Outside the Sadaka Box, the Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel. Each episode, we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today's episode. David King is the Karen Lake Buttery Director of Lake Institute on Faith and Giving, as well as Assistant Professor of Philanthropic Studies within the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. He arrived at IUPUI in 2014, and during his time, David has worked to build the field of religion and philanthropy through interdisciplinary research collaborations, convenings of junior and senior scholars, and expanded critical reflections on the field. He is passionate about research, teaching, and facilitating conversations with faith leaders, donors, and fundraisers of all generations around the intersections of faith and giving. Thank you for joining us today, David. Thanks, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be with you. That is quite a job title. Well, it's, uh, it, might, it makes my parents proud, but it doesn't fit on a business card very, very <laughs> I have to say, it still fills me with so much joy that anytime you email me, your last name appears first, and it looks like I'm receiving emails from King David. What a better person to engage on a Jewish podcast than to think about King David. Explain to me a little bit about your role. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there is no other program like this in the world, correct? We're one of the only schools of philanthropy in the world that offers undergraduate masters and PhD in philanthropic studies. So part of my work as a professor is, is teaching our, mostly our undergrads, graduates, and even doctoral students on, uh, I'll teach a class every year on religion and philanthropy. And then a course, particularly for doctoral students on ethics, thinking about ethics, the ethical, religious, and moral understandings of philanthropy. So that's a lot of fun. And a lot of our students will go on to, to run nonprofits, to work as fundraisers. Some of them work within foundations. But I'd say the bulk of my time is actually working with the projects we do at Lake Institute on faith and giving, which is unique, being in a, a large state university, but focused on uh, our mission, which is this, the, the dynamic relationship um, that inspires and informs giving. Uh, and so these two things that we oftentimes don't put together when we talk about faith, religion, and money, things you're not supposed to talk about at the same time. That's my day job. And it's, it's so much fun because not only are we doing research around these questions, but we're, most of our time is actually working with faith leaders. They might be uh, clergy, sort of executive directors of faith-based nonprofits, all grassroots uh, nonprofits, all who are sort of engaged in uh, work out of their faith traditions as it helps them in their efforts to change the world. So where do you see are the main intersectionalities between religion and giving? We know from all the research we've done um, is that faith is probably one of the best uh, sort of, uh, I guess, motivators for why individuals give. So religious identity and attendance, we know that 
despite whatever that faith tradition might be, it might be Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, whatever that religious identity might be, that those with a religious uh, identification give on average twice as much a year as someone without a faith affiliation. So there's something about religious uh, motivations. I think that has a lot to do with the way that we practice our faith, the, the traditions that sort of enculturate us into thinking about things like uh, giving a tithe or uh, giving one's zedakah. I think those practices, those uh, the traditions and the way that we're formed are key uh, assets for why people uh, of, of what a religious identity oftentimes are um, some of our most uh, engaged givers. Wow, and that is quite a statistic that they give double. Yeah, over double. And we did, we asked these questions, you know, over years after year. It, it's, it's really important. And there are different levels of how engaged someone might be within their community. And I think it's really important, particularly as we think about youth and adults in the next generation, how those conversations are passed down over time. And so one thing that we know that's really something I bring up almost every time is uh, we, we give when we see giving happen. So oftentimes when we ask people, why did you give? Well, my grandparents were givers and they put something in, in, the, in the box or in the plate or whatever it might be. Uh, so seeing it happens is important, uh, but then talking about it is even more important. So I can think about to my own family. I watched my parents write a check and give it to the church that we belong to at that time, but I never talked to them about it. And so I think it's that both and of seeing doing, but also talking about it, which is really sort of the inspiring way that generosity gets passed down from generation to generation. How do you think um, we can go about breaking some of those taboos? I mean, you said that you saw your parents write checks and you never spoke about it. What are some ways that we can break down some of those barriers? These are taboo topics a lot of time, but they don't need to be. You know, I think all of our traditions, uh, whether it's questions around justice or resources, they, they give us a lot of, of resources to think about talking about these topics. And oftentimes I think we shy away from them because we think they're too personal to talk about. But we, we talk about so much more that in many ways is, it's much more closely tied to who we are than how we spend our money. And so I think intentional efforts to break down those taboos by talking about these questions within our faith traditions, thinking about how uh, questions of inequality or questions of how we use our funds or uh, what we use them for. I, you know, I think that particularly this generation and, and the generation of young adults are more and more interested in having these conversations and we, we do a disservice to any young person in thinking that these are not questions that we're already excited to talk about. organization does a lot of research around uh, trends in philanthropy. What does the research say about the emerging generations and where they like to spend their time and money? Yeah, it's a great question and a complex one. I think one thing we know and, and many people are worried about is that we are seeing a decline in the number of households who give each year. So one thing we're seeing is that sort of mid-level donor, thinking about just a general average household, there are less of those givers than there used to be. And we are seeing, even as philanthropy and giving continues to sort of hold a steady state or even grow, it is starting to skew towards those major, major philanthropists. So you can see that some of those larger philanthropists, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts of the world, are maybe having a bit more power and influence than just average folks like you or me or someone listening uh, to our conversation here. So I am a little bit worried about that. 
because they oftentimes fund different things. So, you know, those top level donors are maybe funding higher education, arts, uh, creative types of work, as well as sort of larger, maybe social services or international issues. But I think particularly the average donor is, is funding all of those things, particularly social services and religious organizations. One thing that research hasn't caught up to practice is that most oftentimes we only know how to count charitable giving when it's given to a traditional 501c3 nonprofit. So there's so much, particularly uh, across generations, but I would say particularly around the younger generations that are funding their friends, kind of a crowdfunding type platform or um, someone who just needs help uh, moving or, or making an album or their own types of work that oftentimes get missed. That relationship is so fundamental to giving. And I think that's a strength that it's more and more relational than it ever has been. But oftentimes we, we can't count it. We can't count that volunteering or that charitable donation unless it goes to a sort of traditional nonprofit. And so we have to get better about finding ways to make that connection, which points out the fact that while research will say that you know, a millennial or even the Gen Z um, generation are less charitable or uh, altruistic than their parents or grandparents, that may or may not be true. We just don't, but they just might, we all might be doing it slightly differently. So it's hard to quantify some of what is happening with the younger generation. Yeah, we're sort of stuck with some particular measurements that may point to, oh, there's huge declines, but uh, maybe people aren't going to their religious uh, house of worship as much as they used to. But they're also not joining the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis Club like they used to as well. So a lot of civic organizations, for instance, are those forms are changing. And that's the, you know, some of the ways that we've defaulted into measuring these things. We should, we might think about doing it differently as communities and, and individuals think about how to reach and share with others differently too. And it's interesting that you bring up about it's relational. It's about the relationships that are built. Because I know that some of our programs within the, the Jewish teen philanthropy sphere have a fundraising goal, but sometimes those fundraising goals aren't measured in how much money are you raising? It's how many donors are you engaging with? So it's about how many relationships can you build, not how many dollars can you bring in? Yeah, and, and I think what we've seen with, even with when we study larger donors is that people have changed their motivations for giving. It used to be out of a sense of obligation or giving back to their community. It's now much more about engaging sort of a, uh, an area of mutual passion and, and engaging on that issue. So what I love about many of the teen programs that, that we've been associated with is that it gives the opportunity for teens to find where those passions might be within their own group and then going and learning about them and developing relationships with them. That's really the, one of the big um, nuggets, I would say, to take away from fundraising too. It's not, it's not sales. It's not closing a deal. It's relational work. And if you can bring a number of donors more and more, it's probably better maybe to have 50 donors than just one person who's willing to write a check because you bring them along with you on your goal towards engaging on this mission and making a difference. Um, and that's really sort of, I think, the payoff for both donor and recipient and the organizations in between. So the Lake Institute has actually been working with the Jewish Teen Philanthropy Program here in Indianapolis. The program is called YOFI, Youth Philanthropy Indianapolis, which is one of the JTFN Foundation Board incubator programs hosted at the Jewish Federation of Greater Indianapolis. 
When you have gone to work with them, what has been the most interesting nugget that you have observed with these team groups? Well, the, I'm inspired by, uh, by them every time that we're together. And this is our second cohort we've spent some time with, and uh, it continues to grow. And I'm uh, excited about the passion they bring to the calls, how eager they are to learn. The, the way that these youth groups can pull together, even in a consensus-like format, how we can find just one or two types of initiatives, that's in our polarized world in which we live, the fact that we can have young leaders come together voice disagreements, find common ground. That's an essential task that I pray, that I hope is something that we can pass on. So a lot of our work in the Jewish teen philanthropy field focuses in on values and what are the Jewish values that guide our giving and we use those values to help us make decisions and this is something that happens across a lot of our programs when the, the teens come to consensus and decide what their mission statement is going to be and where they ultimately grant the money. So I was wondering what are the values that you live by? The value that I hold really tightly is one around community. So I think in my work whether it's giving to religious organization or not it's how can we help build bridges for local communities, and then sort of concentric circles out from there, sort of that ripple effect. If we have strong bonds within our local communities, that's going to make our region, our state, our, our country and beyond that much uh, better. And something I really I spend a lot of time personally and professionally trying to build up those relationships, because uh, I do worry, you know, for, for my kids and the next generation that those sort of relational threads are, are frayed. And so trying to find ways to, to rebuild those is, what, is something that oftentimes guides my work. Where do you see things going in the future with regards to giving and faith and giving? Some of the things I think are coming down are, you know, is, is continue to find constructive ways to use technology. So technology is a great asset for fundraising, for giving, for connecting, building relationships, but um, being reflective in how we use that same technology uh, to broker deep relationships instead of being a mechanism for just kind of a transaction to happen. So I, I think we're making that turn. I think people are much smarter with um, how they value technology in their life. It's a great tool, but, it, it, but in essence, it is a tool that we can use in different ways. How do you think that we can encourage different groups of people to give, particularly when we're looking at our field as far as young donors? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we, we did a study a few years ago where we, we look at, at sort of high net worth donors. And, and the big thing that we saw changing was three quarters of them are driven by their passion and their values, but a two thirds of that same group struggled to know what they valued. And so there was this disconnect. And so I think one great lesson is to work with donors and individuals and helping them in that discernment process of what, what's meaningful to them. So looking through our Jewish values, what are the ones that stand out to us? What do we care about? Helping through that process, prioritizing, and I would say helping donors or individuals do that work um, is one of the great gifts that we, can, that we can bring. So what exciting projects have you got coming on the horizon within the Lake Institute? 
Well, we've, we've got just a couple we're really excited about. One is we just finished a big study of congregations' economic practices. So we're actually looking how money comes into houses of worship and where did, how does it manage and where does it go. That's led us to continuing to do about a 100 interviews with priests, imams, rabbis, and sort of clergy religious leaders. But another initiative we're really excited about as we expand from there is looking at what we call faith, philanthropy, and civic engagement. We're looking particularly at these new economic models for organizations, thinking about their theology, their framework, but looking at local communities. We're, we're mapping several communities around the country to think about their religious leaders, their civic leaders, and their philanthropic leaders. Some of the same kind of asset work that we've been doing with Jewish teen groups is what we hope to do at a broader scale um, and thinking about how to bring these people into conversation with one another because they oftentimes, like many of us, were sort of siloed off. So what can we learn from each other? That sounds amazing. I would love to hear more about those when that comes about. <laughs> we will keep you posted for sure. <laughs> One thing that, that I do like to bring up a lot is the fact that we can't just sort of segment or segregate religion as its own area. So most people do this in the way in their lives. It's not that, that they go to um, their faith community only on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, but it sort of envelops, you know, it's this larger question of, of Jewish values or it's their ethic, it's their values, their morality. And that impacts how we give and live in a number of different ways. So whether it's, I'd love for us to expand this conversation and think about maybe religious organizations, but also our religiosity, our spirituality, our, our ethic and, and moral imaginations. And so you know, wherever we are on that spectrum of our, our commitment to a faith or to our experience with it, good or bad, I'd encourage all of us to think about sort of what motivates us to do this work. That's something we can open up and expand that conversation and find a lot more room at the table for, for people in all places along this conversation. And I think one that would benefit not just those of us who work within the religious sector, but opens up these deep questions of meaning to basically all of us. I love your phrase, moral imagination. I love that because we talk about moral decision-making and other areas where morals come in, but I love the imagery of moral imagination. Well, and I think that, you know, we use that language a lot. And part of it is this is, we're enacting something, you know, it's not just something in our imagination, in the work that we do, we are imagining a new future and it's get your hands dirty kind of imagination. So it's, it's creative, but it's something that we have to work towards. And once we have that goal, that vision in mind, the world that looks differently than the way it looks now, we have to put our energy, effort, money, time, talent, into that work and so it's a it's a gritty imagination i want to play a little game with you okay the game is called on the money you are being asked to redesign the dollar bill and i'm going to give you two choices of people to go on the dollar bill, and you have to decide which one you want to go on there. Okay. Okay, so are you ready for your first pairing? <laughs> I'm ready. Would you put Kermit the Frog or Cookie Monster? Oh, I would go with Kermit. Ooh, why'd you pick Kermit? I've always found, well, he's, he's green, um, and- uh, I didn't even think about that. 
<laughs> you know, it's just my own color word association. But I've always found Kermit to be a wise, humble guy who has others' best interest at heart. Okay, your next pairing. Bill Gates or Steve Jobs? Oh, I'd go with Bill Gates. Maybe not quite the, uh, quite the sort of individual innovator, but uh, I think sort of models the both um, innovator and what I would say an interesting model of a philanthropist giving back to change the world today. And two celebrities who were from Indianapolis, David Letterman or Steve McQueen? Ooh, I did not know Steve McQueen was from Indianapolis, but I would go with David Letterman because most people don't know who Steve McQueen is anymore. And uh, <gasps> what a shame. No, but Letterman still has a special place in, I think, Indianapolis. Uh, uh, who's your lore? And he comes back uh, most years and runs a, a team in the Indianapolis 500. He owns a race car team. I didn't know that. No. And I normally only ask three pairings, but I feel like as a bonus question, I need to ask you, King David or King Solomon? <laughs> oh, I'd say with all his flaws, King David, I have to go over there. Why, why do you go for King David other than that he's your namesake backwards? Other than his namesake, you know, the whole wisdom thing, that's a lot to live up to. But as a, as a man after God's own heart and all his, all his flaws, but his great gifts that I'll go with King David. Thank you so much for playing On The Money. Thanks for, thanks for allowing me to be a contestant. David, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Really appreciate your ongoing work with, with some of our teen philanthropy programs. Well, it's a pleasure to be here on the podcast, and, and I would be glad to sort of stay in contact with, with you all and anybody who's listening. You can, you can find us uh, at Lake Institute uh, by Googling on our website and love to stay in touch. Before we sign off today, just a quick plug for the Jewish Funders Network podcast called What Gives. You can listen to that wherever you like listening to your podcasts and also subscribe to our podcast so you can keep listening. We are available via our website, but also wherever you like listening to your podcasts. Thank you very much again, David. Thanks, Danielle. That's great. See everyone next time. Outside the Sedaka Box is produced by the Jewish Teen Funders Network, the central resource for the network of Jewish teen philanthropy programs in North America and internationally. To find out more, visit our website at jtfn.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends. <laughs>